Ranked by U.S. News & World Report among the top 10 rehabilitation hospitals in the nation, Shepherd Center specializes in medical treatment, research, and rehabilitation for people with spinal cord injury and brain injury. As a service to our community, we present Shepherd Center Radio with host Melanie Cole. Sports-related concussion is a hot topic in the media today and in medicine. It's a common injury that is likely underreported by pediatric and adolescent athletes. My guest is Dr. Russell Gore. He's the director of Shepherd Center's Complex Concussion Clinic. Dr. Gore, what is a concussion and who is at the highest risk? Because it's not just athletes, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it's a good way to start this conversation for sure because concussions are often underreported. And a lot of folks out there think that they are protected or that they're sort of safe because their children perhaps don't play specific sports that tend to be higher impact. Um, so I think it's important for folks to recognize that, um, you know, the highest risk, risk groups are really active kids, you know, folks out there that are, that are participating in any sports. You know, a lot of my athletes actually uh, end up with concussions even when, uh, it, when they're just horsing around with their friends and being, you know, normal adolescents. Um, so a concussion is um, a short-term change in brain function, and there's a lot of controversy, and there's been uh, um, a lot of conversation over the last decade about trying to come up with um, a meaningful definition for concussion, and I will say that, that there's not a tremendous amount of consensus, so this can be sometimes confusing for patients, um, but if you have um, an insult, like um, a hit to the head or a sudden uh, um, um, deceleration, let's say um, you stopped very quickly uh, but didn't crash in a car, um, and then you experience symptoms, um, headaches, dizziness, um, nausea, um, confusion, or feeling foggy, then you very well may have sustained a concussion. Well, as we said at the beginning, Dr. Gore, it's sometimes underreported. And one of the reasons I think is because people trust this equipment, especially in the high-risk sports like football and such. Do you think that this is a bit of a myth or a, or a misconception that people are trusting a little too much that these, that these pieces of equipment will keep their children safe? Uh, absolutely. There, there are so many benefits, um, and over the years we've continued to develop uh, better and better safety equipment that's geared towards um, athletes, uh, you know, um, vehicles, uh, aviators, you know, we, we developed some amazing tools. The problem with concussion is if we understand the biomechanics of the injury, then what we understand is that helmets don't prevent it. So a concussion, because your brain and head slow, speed up or slow down rapidly, is a result of the brain sloshing around within your skull. Um, that can include forces that are direct and front to back, like linear forces, or it can include turning or rotational forces. The problem is that even if you cover your head with uh, a protective shell, then your brain still sloshes around when it stops or speeds up rapidly. So these sorts of technologies and helmets, really what they protect us from are um, more severe injuries. So um, fracture of the skull, lacerations and cuts of the skin, um, 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 bleeding within the brain, and more severe injuries can pre be prevented with this technology. The problem is, um, regardless of what um, a vendor or a company is going to claim, uh, none of these technologies, whether they're soft or hard, none of them have been shown to, to, to prevent concussions. 
What should parents and coaches and other athletes be on the lookout for for symptoms we discussed a little bit off the air about the body system and and resources at the schools? And so what do you want people to know about what they should be looking for and parents as well? Well, I think the, the, the first the first sort of most important um um, consideration for parents is is to pay attention to your children. We very quickly um, get into uh, patterns within our lives, and things are hectic for everyone. Um, and and often it's just in in retrospect that we think, "Gosh, you know, my my child was acting a little bit lethargic yesterday. They weren't quite themselves." You know, looking out for some of those behavior changes in your child. Um, you know, listening for the the yellow and red flags that you might hear from teachers that say. You know, your child was not very engaged today. Is everything okay? And then thinking a little bit about what's what have we been doing for the last few days? Was there some kind of an exposure? Because it's amazing to me how often um, I'm seeing kids with concussions and they're not able to really clearly describe the moment that the injury occurred. Um, and that certainly does not preclude the injury from having happened. So, you know, paying close attention um, to your children, I think, and 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 keeping your eyes open to look for those, uh, those warning signs are, is really important. And then once that happens, I think it's really critical to make sure to tap into the expertise that's already within your network and your community. Um, athletic trainers, for example, are phenomenal um, concussion providers. If, you, if you're fortunate enough to have athletic trainers within your school community or school nurses, let's say your child's not an athlete, um, and they may not have access to the athletic trainers or not feel comfortable, you know, tap into the school nurse and say, you know, we're concerned. What should we do? And they will connect you, A, with an assessment for your child. They're going to talk to your child. They're going to get the ball rolling, and they're going to connect you with resources within the school community um, for further assessment if that's necessary. When is treatment necessary? What does that look like? Is this considered an emergent condition? I mean, you are the director of a complex concussion clinic, but for a majority of these type of, you know, injuries, is this something that needs an emergency room visit? And what treatment? I mean, are are parents supposed to look for some of these symptoms and, and give Motrin? Talk about the treatment a little bit. Sure. So, uh, so your first question is a really good one. Um, you know, is this an emergency situation? And this is very difficult for us to sort of prescribe outside of individual situations. I'm always very careful, especially with parents, to to not tell them that if they have a level of concern that their feeling would warrant having their child seen immediately by a medical professional, and that that resource is not available, um, perhaps on the sideline or in a training room or within the school setting, um, or directly around you, then absolutely um, going to an urgent care center, having a provider take a look at your child is, is the right answer. I would say that in most cases, concussions are absolutely not an emergency situation. But, but that's biased by those of us who manage these injuries. And, and that's just me thinking, well, geez, uh, nine out of every 10 concussions that I see, um, for, for example, on the sidelines of um, collegiate and, and high school level athletic competitions, you know, I would never send to an emergency room, but then I'm, I'm assessing them as their provider. So for a parent, it's a very different question. Some of the warning signs would include um, vomiting um, associated with the symptoms. If their child is really confused and the symptoms don't seem to be improving at all, 
Um, certainly if it's difficult to wake up your child, those are the sorts of things where absolutely you should be calling 911. In most cases, um, if your child is waking up, if they're, if they're communicating with you, um, if, uh, um, if they're complaining of symptoms, but the symptoms don't appear to be very severe, then those assessments can wait for 24 to 48 hours until you're able to, uh, to see, to see a provider. When we move to the treatment question, um, really the hallmark for concussion, uh, treatment is, is rest. So the idea is that we really want to, to put that child in an environment where they're not being taxed, um, and challenged from a cognitive, um, standpoint. Um, they are, we, we want to remove them from play is probably the most important because we do not want to have another injury, uh, within a short period after the first, um, uh, which, which, uh, could potentially ha- make them vulnerable to more prolonged symptoms. Um, and so we really want to shut this child down. I think uh, what we found over the last few years and what the literature and the data is certainly demonstrating to us, though, is that after that first 24, 48, 72 hours at the most of strict rest, we need to be thinking about how to reactivate children. So uh, what we're finding more and more is that, um, is that early rest is the hallmark of treatment, but we can, we can over-rest kids to the point that we make their symptoms worse and we make their symptoms last longer. So we, we need to think about um, some reactivation after the first 48 to 72 hours of cognitive rest. With athletes, really dedicated ones, Dr. Gore, when to get back to play is their most important question. And we hear when in doubt, sit it out. But when can they go back to play? And are we supposed to keep them away from overstimulating things. You were speaking about rest, but, you know, TV, electronics, their computers, their phones, all of these kinds of things are, are what a resting child would think they are doing when they rest. Sure. And, and this is a big challenge as well for parents. Um, so, so really, I use a swimming pool as my analogy with most of my patients. And I let them know that for the first 48 to 72 hours, I really want you to get out of the pool. I want you to be resting. I want to really minimize screen time. I want to minimize physical activity. I want to minimize cognitive function, cognitive tasks. Um, after that 48 to 72 hours, though, we've got to get back in the pool. So I, I let them know that we really, though, need to stay in the shallow end. So we need to find out for a child who needs to stay engaged socially, but we want to minimize screen time, you know, it it's okay to do some limited texting, to stay engaged with friends. Um, they're still in the pool socially, but, but they're not overdoing it. And so we'll tell them that we want them to do activities to minimize increases in symptoms. If they're noticing an increase in symptoms of one or two points, you know, then, it, then maybe we're okay. Let's see how you feel. Once we get above that, then we need to disengage rest until symptoms go back to baseline and then re-engage. That's really how we get from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool is is with a little bit of, of stimulation. We just really want to prevent overdoing it. Um, and I would say that that, um, that, that is absolutely uh, appropriate for um, physical activity as well. Um, and we have to think big picture. You know, when I talk about the swimming pool, I'm talking about uh, school participation and cognitive function, we need to be in the shallow end. Um, physical activity, we need to be in the shallow end. And also social activity, we need to be in the shallow end. So, you know, a child who can attend practice and stay on the sidelines just to be around their friends, 
but they're not noticing a big increase in symptoms. Maybe they have very mild increase in symptoms, but that's it. I want to facilitate that because when we remove these kids from their social um, environment, um, then we, we generally make symptoms worse. So we really want to have them stay engaged. So speak about prevention and wrap it up for us. What do you want to tell the listeners about preventing a concussion in the first place? And do you believe that impact tests, you know, impact testing, baseline screening is a good idea for schools and coaches and athletes? Sure. So, so really when, I mean, those are two separate questions when we get to they the, are. the question of, um, yeah, that's okay. But when we get to the question of, uh, of, uh, prevention, I mean, really education is, is, is key. You know, we're, it's, we already mentioned that, that helmets aren't going to prevent concussions. Um, kids are going to continue to have concussions, whether they're participating in sports or whether they're not participating in sports. You know, this is a, this is a, a, a problem that is part of an active lifestyle. And there are so many benefits to active lifestyles um, that, that, that we want to encourage folks to continue to participate and stay active. And what that means is we're going to have concussions. So educating parents, educating um, um coaches, educating peers and friends so that they are on the lookout for these sorts of symptoms is what's most important. What we want to prevent is repeat injuries. What we want to make sure is that folks that who, who are injured are, uh, are, are managed appropriately. Um, and, and, and I think that's really that education piece is, is the most important preventative measure that we can, that, that we could possibly affect. Um, the question of impact testing and the question specifically of the product impact you know, is is somewhat of a loaded question. There's more and more data that tells us that uh, um, that that the, the quality of baseline testing, when we look at populations, um, and we're trying to identify who's concussed and who's not in research studies, the quality of baseline, the value of having a baseline, is overstated right now. Um, it's really more of a business model. If you are baselined on my product, you're more slight, you're more likely um, to use my product again when you're injured. Um, and that's, there's a contract set up. Um, and so I think, you know, what we do and what's done in a lot of places who can't afford these expensive products, um, computerized testing is, uh, it, it is that we have a logical protocol for assessment after the injury occurs. And when the resources are available, we try to use, um, we, we try to have baseline data so that there's a comparison. Um, but the idea that if you're not baseline tested, then the doctors and, and the clinicians and athletic trainers won't be able to diagnose you with concussion needs to be dispelled because we want folks to go to those trainers, whether they were baselined or not, because the value of those tests compared to where we think you should have performed in most studies is showing we're, we're seeing that, that, that there's still a lot of value to doing the testing, even if, even if baseline testing does not occur. Thank you so much, Dr. Gore, for such really important information. You're listening to Shepherd Center Radio, and for more information on concussion, please visit shepherd.org. That's shepherd.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in.